Let me just uh, introduce you to our speaker this morning, Christopher Glatzbach and his wife, Brittany, as many of you know, are going to be our new senior leaders uh, come July 1st next year. And already they are winning the love and trust and respect of our leadership teams and our staff. And they're going to do such a great job. And Christopher's going to come and tell you part of his story today. I'm so excited that you're getting to know them and we'll continue to get to know them better in these next several months. And so give him a nice, warm greeting as he comes to share with us this morning. Well, good morning, Union Chapel. Good, morning. good to be with you this morning. Thanks, of, thanks for you being here, but also all of you who are tuning in online. I'm already like a mess crying this morning and just all the good things that we are a part of here as a community at Union Chapel and the good that we are doing within our community. So it's a beautiful thing to be a part of together. So thank you. Thank you again. Uh, this morning, I wanted to talk about something that might make a few of us feel uncomfortable. Maybe more of you are acquainted with it than others, uh, but it's this. Uh, my message this morning is entitled, The Gift That No One Wants. The Gift That No One Wants. Another working title was The Gift of Pain. The Gift of Pain. It's funny for some of you. Uh, some of you have experienced more pain than others. And as I was preparing this morning for the message, as I was spending time with the Lord, I just felt so impressed by God to share some of my own story. How I dealt with pain and how I've been exposed to pain from a really young age. For me, death was normalized at a very young age for me. My first exposure with death was when I was just three years old. My mother had come in to tuck me in, and as she was walking back to my father and her bedroom, she fell on the ground and gave birth uh, at 20 and a half weeks to my younger brother, who died shortly after delivery. Three years after that, my biological father died of leukemia. Two years after that, my cousin and I were playing go fish in our grandparents' kitchen, my grandmother had just mopped the floor, and my grandfather was walking across it, and he fell, hit his head on the counter, was rushed to the hospital, and died shortly thereafter with a brain bleed as a result of his fall. Fast forward the next few years, I experienced death from family members who died of drug overdoses, and suicide, car accidents, cancer, sickness. And as I've been thinking about this story and the tremendous amount of pain that I've experienced from a really young age, I'm sure that this room is full of it. It isn't just my story, it's our story. If I were to pass a mic around this morning, I'm sure that we would be wrecked by the amount of pain in this room. And I want to do something that we normally don't do within the church, but I just want to stop for just a moment, give some space for us to think about some of the own, our own pain, our pain in our own life. Think about it. And of course, I'm not just talking about physical pain, which is okay if that's what came to mind as I began to speak of my own pain, but I'm just talking about pain in general. Jesus gives us a promise that isn't found hanging up in many homes or above the mantle on the fireplace. But in John 16, he gives us a promise. And he says this, in this world, you will have pain. 
In this world, you will experience trouble of many kinds. And so as we begin to engage and talk about pain, I'm not here this morning to explain pain. That isn't my job this morning. My job this morning is to invite you to respond to pain maybe differently than what you have traditionally done. And the first thing that I want you to do as we begin this journey into pain is for you just to picture what it would be like for God to be with you in your pain. To see you in your pain, to hear you in your pain, to hold you, to weep with you in your pain. And as we are continuing in this Advent season, Advent is all about waiting. Pastor Greg talked about this last week, waiting expectantly for the coming Messiah. 2,000 years ago, they were waiting for a coming Messiah And we too today at Union Chapel in Muncie, Indiana are waiting again in Advent. And we're waiting for the Messiah to make things as they should be. Pain was never a part of the story. It should have never been a part of our experience. And it's a result of sin and brokenness and separation from God. And so as we wait in Advent in anticipation for the coming Messiah... We're waiting for him to come and make things the way that they should be, whole and good. And until then, waiting is painful. And this is where we pick up in our Advent story, and it's our custom here at Union Chapel to stand as we honor the hearing of God's word. So I want to invite you as you're able to do that. If you have your Bible, we'll be reading starting in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. This is what the word of God says. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And listen, this will be our text as we springboard into this morning. In verse 29, this is how Mary responds. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. May God inspire us through the hearing and the receiving of his word. You may be seated. As we continue through this story, I just envision the angel being there and looking at Mary and Mary feeling overwhelmed. Nowhere else in the New Testament is this word greatly trouble used. Mary was overwhelmed, anxious. She didn't know what to expect and so the angel tried to comfort her in verse 30. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. 
That's one of the favorite questions of our 180 students when we talk about Advent and the story of Jesus coming into this world. And so it's right that this teenage girl might ask the same question that we're asking ourselves 2,000 years ago. And this is the angel's response in verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come over you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. And I love this word in verse 37. For no word from God will ever fail. And listen to the change of tone and tenor from Mary in verse 38. She went from questioning to being overwhelmed to being anxious to a posture of receiving. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. And for me, I've grown up in the church and I've been exposed to the story for a really long time, but it was for the first time as I was preparing a message on Advent that I stopped and just paused at verse 29, that Mary was greatly troubled. And I love the honesty that we receive from Mary in the story. I think it humanizes the characters in the narrative. That it isn't just a yes, whatever you say, God, but there's a wrestling, there's a tension that we see. And I believe that there is so much that we can learn from Mary and her response to troubling news, to pain. And there are three things that I want to pull from Mary this morning about pain and trouble. And the first is this. The first thing that we can learn from Mary is to be honest in our pain. We have to first acknowledge our pain in order to receive healing. Because this is what pain is about. Pain reveals. Pain reveals where we put our trust and where we find our peace. Pain shows us where we run to to find comfort, where we run to to make the pain stop. In Luke 129, Mary just simply says, I am greatly troubled at these words. I am overwhelmed. What could this mean? And she knew that there was going to be pain associated with this announcement. Pastor Greg talked about this last week, and we find it in Luke chapter 2, verse 35. Simeon is in the temple, and he's just prophesying in the synagogue over Mary and Joseph. And he says, this is why your son is coming into the world. In Luke 2, 35, it says this, so that the thoughts of many, the thoughts of many hearts would be revealed. And I just picture Simeon looking straight at Mary and saying, and a a sword will pierce your soul too. Mary, this is going to be painful. And she knew that. I, I really do believe that she knew that from the start, that this would be a painful experience for her. And for us in the church, especially for me, as I grew up surrounded by so much pain, my first response was just to jump to the conclusion. Well, God has a plan and purpose. You know, God has a plan. It's all going to be okay. Everything happens for a reason. That was where I would go. And it wasn't until recently that I found that that isn't actually helpful. It actually isn't healthy that we have to go through a journey in pain 
in order to be fully healed. And why is that? Well, in Psalm 34, we get a little insight to this. One of my favorite psalms in all of scripture. But in Psalm 34, verse 18, the psalmist writes, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. There's a reality that when we're experiencing pain, when we've come to our end, that God is actually closer to us. He's near to us. We can sense his presence. We can hear him more clearly. We can see him. Picture this, if you would. Maybe you fall and you hit your elbow walking into church this morning. And, and Monday morning, you go to the hospital to get it checked out. Or maybe you r- get rushed to the emergency room right away to get it checked out. And your doctor comes over and she asks, hey, what's going on? And you begin to tell her a story about how your knee is hurting and bothering you. You fell and you hurt your knee. And so she begins to examine your knee. She does tests on your knee, x-ray on your knee, and she finds that nothing is wrong and she sends you on your way. You will never receive healing without being honest about your pain. You have to go to the doctor and you say, hey, I fell and I hurt my elbow. Can you check it out? And then you will receive proper help. I have a mentor friend of mine and we were musing about this idea of pain. He happens to be a doctor. We hang out once every other week or so. And I just asked him as a doctor, I said, do you think that the world would be better without pain? What is the need of pain? And of course, he's a doctor. He knows a lot of medical terminology. And he said, well, have you ever heard of CIPA? You know, he's looking at me. And I'm, no, (laughs) no, I do not know what CIPA is. And he began to tell me about this book that actually is where I found the gift of pain. The gift that no one wants is where the title came from. It's actually the title of this book as well. And he began to tell me, that there are people with CIPA, which is a rare disorder where people actually don't experience pain. And the medical professionals began to engage with these people who are experiencing from this condition and interview them. And across the board, every single one of these people that have CIPA communicated that they would not wish this on anyone. They began to communicate that pain was actually helpful for us. That Oftentimes, they would be leaning up against something and putting pressure against a wall, and their arm would break because they didn't know how much pressure they were putting against the wall. That would never happen if they were to experience discomfort or pain. And pain, they communicated, was necessary in their experience. And I'd want you to picture this, that God actually sits with us in our pain. When I was growing up, my mother, she ran an in-home daycare so that she could be home with me and my sisters. And the way that our house was set up was there was this perfect track between rooms that the kids and I could run around in. There was a wall that separated uh, the dining room from the kitchen, and then there was a, a room over to the side, the dining room. So there was a dining room, the living room, and the kitchen, and we would run in this perfect circle around. But the problem was, if you weren't careful, in the living room, there was carpet. The kitchen and dining room had hardwood floors. And so if you began to run around and chase one another without being too careful, if you went from the carpet to the hardwood, you would lose your footing and run into the dining room table. You can picture this, I'm sure. 
And that would happen pretty frequently, especially if you had socks on. We would get some of the smaller kids to put on socks. Keep your socks on. Be more fun that way. That was just, that was bad of me, okay? This is my confession. I'm confessing to you guys. (laughs) And so we would begin to run around, and, and this was almost inevitable. I remember it clearly for myself that one day I thought that I could get through the, the track with my socks on. And I remember I was running, I was chasing one of my sisters. And as I began to run around the corner, I got a hold of the hardwood floor and I went right into the table. And I'm five or six at this point, And I begin to cry. I mean, I'm in pain, that hurt. I was running hard after my sisters. And my mother, she came over to me and you know what my mom didn't do was now Christopher, Those socks, there's a thing called friction and traction. And when you have socks, you don't have that. No, no, no. What my mother did was my mother came over to me and she held me. And she pulled me close. And she comforted me. And she reminded me, hey, it's going to be okay. I'm here. And that was it. And I think oftentimes that's how the Lord is with us. That when we find ourselves in pain, when we find ourselves in an, in an impossible situation, we cry out to God. And as the psalmist says in Psalm 34, 18, that God is actually close to us in our brokenness. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And I'm sure all of us in this room have been there at one point or another. So the first thing is that we have to be honest about our pain. The second thing that we can learn from Mary and we see from her and glean from her in this process is that we have to be patient in our pain. Mary quieted herself to hear and receive from the messenger of God, to hear what the angel had to say. And I know that this next statement that'll be up on the screen will be a little hyperbolic in nature, but I do believe that it isn't far from the truth, that we will never learn a single thing without pain. Pain is a great teacher. C.S. Lewis, a great theologian, he puts it this way, that God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God, again, he is just shouting. I can just picture him. Hey, listen, I know you're disoriented. I know that it doesn't make sense. But I am here. I am with you. And so this raises the question, how do we become patient in our pain? Well, the first thing that I believe is that we pray. When we pray, we become reoriented. We are reminded that we are not in control and that we don't have all the answers. We don't have it all figured out. So we just begin to pray and we ask God. And my favorite verse And all of scripture, Psalm 27, 4, I recite it often to remind myself what would it look like for me to have one thing, to ask for one thing. And David says this in Psalm 27, 4, it says, one thing that I ask of the Lord, this will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David is saying, hey, if I could have one thing, it it would be to pray to engage with God. Dallas Willard, another great theologian, he says this, he defines prayer like this. He says, prayer is a conversation with God about the things that we're doing together. I love that definition. 
And so what would it look like for us to become a people of prayer? What would it look like for us to rise up? Pastor Greg quoted this psalm this morning from when we rise up as, as the sun is coming up, we begin to invite God into our journey, into our experience, to remind ourselves that he is with us, that he is near to us. And so we begin to pray. The second thing that we do to partner with God and, and become patient in our pain is this, is that we wait. And I know that that might sound funny to you, but waiting is actually really difficult. Waiting is uncomfortable. Waiting takes courage. It's what the season of Advent is all about. It's about an expectancy. And later on in, in Psalm 27, at the end of the chapter in verse 14, David goes on to simply say this, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And I find that rather fascinating that David is reminding probably himself that waiting takes courage and strength. And so in the midst of our pain, to be patient, we just wait. And waiting is much more than just sitting back and relaxing and not doing much and disengaging. No, waiting is actually an active participation in expectancy for what God is up to. For us to engage with God, hey God, I'm here. I'm not gonna take a step without you, I'm here. What do I need to hear? What do I need to know? One of the things about prayer, and I hope it's an invitation that you are praying about, is right now we have two vacancies that will be coming up soon. One is with our 180 position, the one that I'll be transitioning out of in the season. Uh, and so we're praying for a 180 pastor. The other is a young adult pastor. We're praying for both of those positions to be filled. And until then, I've been facilitating and leading those ministries, the young adult ministry and our 180 ministry. And so if you're not doing anything as a young adult on Tuesday night, I want to invite you to come and participate and worship and free food and a good time every Tuesday night from 7 to 8.30 here in, in this building in our 180 auditorium. But the way that we structure young adults is we all sit at circular tables just to try to have conversation and community around a meal. We believe that that's important. And the other day I was running between the kitchen and, uh, and the 180 auditorium and I saw that the tables were starting to fill up and there was one table that just had one person at it. And so I walked over to her and I, I kind of know her, you know, she comes around to young adults, but I don't have this type of relationship based on the question that I asked her and the response that I received from her. I didn't think about it too much, but I just looked at her, called her out by name, and I said, what are you running from? She looked at me really indignant, which is how she should have responded, and she said, what are you talking about? And I was like, oh, shoot, well, I'm in deep now. I guess I should keep going. You know, that's my philosophy. And, and so I, I looked at her, and I said, well, there's a room full of people right now, and I've been watching you over the last few minutes, and you're just scrolling mindlessly through social media. What are you running from? And I could tell that her eyes began to well up with tears, and she said, well, what else would I do? Just like that. What else would I do? I said, well, what if you, like, moved over to your Bible app and just read some scripture? She said, well, what would I read? I said, I, I don't know. I think Psalm 46 might be comforting to you right now in the season that you find yourself in. And so she said, okay, 
I'll do it. So I began to watch her for the rest of the night, and I could tell that her body language and her posture began to change. And then she left. I didn't know if she was mad at me or what, and so I followed up with her the next week, and she said, no, I really needed to be near God. I needed that reminder. And you see, when we experience pain, our first knee-jerk reaction is to distract ourselves, to distance ourselves. And that leads me to my third and, and final point here in this, in this area is the third thing that we can do to be patient in our pain is that we fix our eyes on truth. And what is the truth? Well, Jesus says it this way in, in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And what we do is, is when we experience pain, when difficult things begin to happen in our life, it is, it is honestly easy to fall into. That we run away from our pain, to numb ourselves, to try to feel something other than the pain. But when we do that, when we try to distance ourselves from pain, we actually are distancing ourselves from God. And distraction, which is what you'll be tempted to do in pain, is not the same thing as deliverance. You will want to distract yourself. How do I know? Because I do it too. We're all tempted to do it. And when we distract ourselves, we don't often distract ourselves with the word of God. We distract ourselves with things that make us, what we think in the moment, make us feel good. Please stop. Don't do it. Because when we begin to feel pain and hurt and we try to fix it, we actually eliminate the need from God in our life. There's no redemptive purpose and plan that can happen when we try to take control. And so fix your eyes on truth. Get to know God. Hear his voice. John 10 talks about the sheep, who we are. Know the voice of the shepherd. And God is not distancing himself from you. So if you're not hearing from God, I would say you probably don't know his voice because he's speaking to you. He's wanting to have fellowship with you. So get to know his voice. The third and final point, I'll say this in conclusion, and I know that it is difficult to do, but the third thing is this, to be hopeful in our pain. In Luke 1, 37 through 38, we see Mary, she hears this word, for no word from God will ever fail. And Mary responds, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be to me fulfilled. Then the angel left her. And Mary understood this, that we as followers of Jesus, we grieve differently than the world. And to bookend the life of Jesus near the end of his public ministry, he's sharing with his disciples that he's about to die, that he's about to be crucified and die a criminal's death for the sins of the world. He's communicating that preemptively to his disciples. And in John 16, where we started this morning, he says this in verse 20, very truly I tell you, talking about his own death, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. 
A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she, for, she forgets the anguish because her joy of that child, how it is born into the world. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? So it is with you, Union Chapel. He's speaking to his disciples. Now is your time of grief. It's just a time. But again, I will see you again and you will rejoice. And no one will take away your joy. And in that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. And then he goes on to finish his monologue with his disciples, the verse that we started with this morning in John 16, 33. He says, hey, listen, all these things I just told you, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. And remember, pain reveals where you put your trust and where you find your peace. And Jesus is saying, put it in me. Put it in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because in this world, you will have pain. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. Have courage. Jesus has overcome the world. And Jesus, he gives us hope that we do not have to be in this pain forever. And when we begin to worship, pain will find its rightful place. It will find its place where it belongs in our story, in our life, when we begin to worship, pain will find its rightful place. And I love Mary's response to all of these things. Again, this teenage girl, an unexpected pregnancy. She knows that she's going to be rejected by her community. She goes to, to give birth to her son and, and in a place that is just so full of hospitality, they send her out to the barn. For the Savior of the world to be born. It's not the culture, except if something scandalous happened. And so Mary was experiencing pain. And she knew these things would come to fruition, but this is what she says in Luke 1, 46 through 49. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy, holy, holy is his name. What a beautiful posture of worship. A great response from Mary. And as I was preparing for this message, I was talking with my mom over the phone just to get all the details correct about the tremendous amount of pain that our family has experienced through the years. And she said, you know, when I think about the pain, I'm reminded of something that you said when you were in eighth grade. You just turned 13. And I, had, I don't remember this story. I don't even remember myself saying this. But ironically enough, we were on our way, my mother and I, the only two in the car, we were on our way to a funeral. My cousin, who was just a few years older than me, died tragically in a car accident. And my mom was crying on her way to the funeral, and I just put my hand on her shoulder and I said, you know, mom, I look at death differently. I've been experiencing death for the last decade. 
And she looked at me and she said, what, what do you mean? I said, well, I look at death differently. Jesus has come to give us hope even in death because of his death. I mean, I said that as a 13-year-old. And I don't remember saying this. My mother's relaying the story to me. And she said, I can't believe you said that to me. It was so powerful, and I, I hold on to it. And I actually tell people that after the fact when they're questioning, why are these things happening? And she said, I can't believe you said that. I said, no, Mom, I don't think that was me. That had to have been the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is saying the same thing to us today, that we can have pain. In this world, we will have pain, but we can have peace in the midst of that pain because of Jesus' death on the cross. That it is just a season. That it won't be like this forever. And so that is what Advent is all about, the season of Advent, of waiting for Christmas. Advent is all about hope coming into this world in unlikely fashions and working in the way we never anticipated. I mean, the Savior of the world being born as a baby here. God, the Word, became flesh and made his dwelling among us so that we might be united with Christ. And because of the birth of Jesus, we can have hope in, in a world full of so much pain. And Christ, he, he's wanting us to be actively engaged as we walk through the darkest valleys. We don't run. The 23rd Psalm says we don't jump into our car and drive through the darkest valleys. No, Jesus is saying, walk with me. I'm here. I'm your shepherd. I will be with you. So we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And I started this morning's message intentionally the way that I did, being honest about my own personal pain. And like I said, all of us in this room have walked, will walk, or currently walking through a tremendous amount of pain. How do I know? Because I know some of your stories. Just this week, I've had to walk people through sexual abuse, death, cancer, infidelity, and that's just this week of connecting with people through pastoral care. That's heavy. And so I want to invite you to be honest about your pain and to give it to God, to allow him to carry the burden of your grief and your pain. And so this morning, we will have prayer teams that will meet up front. I want to encourage you to come up and receive prayer from someone. The kneeling rails are open. So again, I just want to encourage you, come and give your pain to the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you, and we confess that we need you. I'm so thankful that you don't abandon us in our pain, but that you are here, that you are active, that you are working, even in the midst of our pain. And God, I pray against the temptation to just rush through it. God, but I just pray that we would be able to sit with it, to sit with you in our pain, and that you are a God who weeps with us and hears us and listens to us, and that you walk with us. So Jesus, glory to God for who you are. Because of your death, we can have hope in this world because you have overcome it. God, I pray for any of my friends in this room who have not yet give their, given their life over to you. Lord, I pray today that they would reach out to you, maybe for the first time in their lives. Jesus, we love you and we praise you, and it's your name we pray. Amen.
Like Pastor Greg communicated, today we're going to be celebrating and participating in baptism. So if you are one of the candidates to receive water baptism, I want to invite you up to the front. And Pastor Glenn, I'm going to hand it off to you.